Okay, we are in the book of Acts. We're going to finish up the book of Acts chapter 20 today. So we are in the book of Acts. And we're going to pick it up reading from verse 30, 33. Acts chapter 20. We're going to start reading from verse 33. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him. Grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face. And they were accompanying him to the ship. So last week we talked about coveting, what it means to covet, and how how we can stay free of that by crying out to the Lord. But then Paul goes on in verse 35. He said, I showed you that by working hard in this manner we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, we don't have an account of Jesus saying that in the Gospels. But so, in other words, he said it because the scriptures say he said it. But the scriptures also tell us that there were many things that Jesus did that we don't have an account of in the Gospels. Many things that he did. Here's one of the things that he said. He said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Paul says in verse 35, that in this manner we must help the weak. We must help the weak. This is not then an option for us. Paul tells believers, we must help the weak. We are expected as believers to help those that are weak, to help those that are suffering, to help those that are in need. God has called us to be different than the way the world is. So what does it mean that I have to help them meet weak? That means that there may be something that I want to do that I have to curtail from doing so that I can help another person. And the reason the Scriptures tell us this so directly is because by nature we are inherently selfish. By nature we're inherently selfish. And God calls us to something better. He says we must help the weak Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Last week in the church service, we had a a group of people come back. They went off for one week of of missions. And this class was praying for one person in particular who was on that trip, uh, uh, Gene Pennington. And so you, you saw this group of people stand up in front of the church. And many of them are professional oil traders and energy traders and, and engineers. And here they were standing there in tears, recounting the things that happened on this mission trip as they went to the mountains of Ecuador and went with thousands of pairs of shoes, went there, washed the feet of children, put powder on their feet, gave them a fresh pair of socks and put new shoes on their feet. For many of the children, it was the first pair of shoes they ever had. For many of the other children, their their toes were all curled up in the present shoes that they had because the, the shoes weren't large enough or the backs were cut out of them so that they're... because uh, uh, they had outgrown them and they were falling apart. But these people 
all of a sudden were in tears and standing up there and saying, this was the most profound thing that they had ever done in their lives. Was this one week experience to go and to give away shoes on the mission field to a bunch of kids. They came back knowing what this verse meant. It is more blessed to give than to receive. They came back so blessed. They gave a few pairs of shoes, little Chinese-made shoes, sneakers, and they came back so blessed that you could take these people who were in the professional world and they come back in tears. Why? Because Jesus knew that it is more blessed to give than to receive. When you give, you get something back so much more. You get so much more back. In Proverbs, in Proverbs, there's a proverb about this. In Proverbs chapter 19, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17 says, One who is gracious to the poor, one is gracious to a poor man, lends to the Lord. One who is gracious to a poor man, lends to the Lord. Why lend to the Lord? Why not give to the Lord? Because the next part of the verse says this, and He will repay him for his good deed. Because when you're gracious to another, you're lending to God, and God will repay you for your good deed. That's why it's like lending to God. Because God's going to pay back. God is going to pay you back for the graciousness that you do for another. He will pay you back. When you are gracious to one, to another, you will get something back. Jesus spoke about this in, in Matthew chapter 6. He spoke about the same sort of thing. In Matthew chapter 6, He expanded upon this. He says, in verse 2, Matthew 6 verse 2, So when you give to the poor... Do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be done in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, when you give. Now, how can that be? How can your, your left hand know, not know what your right hand has done? I mean, they kind of almost talk to each other. How could they not know? Well, when you become so gracious in giving that you can't even keep track anymore of all you've done for people, then your left hand starts to lose track of what your right hand is doing. And it doesn't even know the difference. This is the extent to which we should be giving out that we are doing it so often and so much that we lose track of all the people that we have blessed, that we can't even keep track of it anymore. Then you've hit the part where you, you're going about, this is the steady state, maintain that or increase it, but don't let it, don't let it dissipate. That's where you're supposed to be. You laughing at the kinetics? Okay. There's, there's something called steady state where you hit an equilibrium. But, but um, anyway, it's just, just kind of a chemist thing, you know. <laughs> this is the extent to which we are called to give. And, and Paul said we must give to the weak. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. There are different types of giving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he is speaking specifically about monetary gifts. Now, I want you to know I don't get a nickel of any of the donations that you give to the church. Not even a penny. I get none of them. And in fact, if, if the pastor doubled my salary for teaching the Sunday school class, it wouldn't make a bit of difference. Okay? So, so my, 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 uh, my talking about this is not to benefit myself. It is to benefit you. It is to benefit you. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, reading from verse 1. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you, to the Macedonians. Namely, that at Achaia, that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal was, has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case. So that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any of the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Look what he says. He says, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. If you give a little, you will get back a little. If you give much, you will get much. People say, well, that's not talking about money. In this, in this portion, it's definitely talking about money. We'll look at another portion that's definitely not talking about money. It's talking about our attitude toward others. But in this portion, it's talking about money. We give, we get. You give sparingly, you reap sparingly. You give bountifully, you reap bountifully. It says, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. When you scatter, when you're willing to give to others, when you give, your righteousness endures forever. That is a tremendous promise. Forever means forever. There is a forever gift in giving that we receive back. There is a forever gift that we get, that we receive something back. When we give, that is what the scriptures say. Now let's let's look in uh, uh, in in Luke chapter six, Luke chapter six, and this dovetails tremendously with what was being taught in the service today. Luke chapter six, and this portion in Luke chapter six, actually verses uh, uh, twenty-two through thirty-eight. This is a portion that I've memorized over the years with all of my children. So we've studied this portion to the point where all of us had to recite it to one another. But what I want to do is, is look in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. 
Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. Whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is it to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and you will be rewarded, and it will be great to you. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you'll not be judged. Do not condemn, and you'll not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. The context of this is not the giving of money. The context of this is our attitude toward others. It says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. You look at a person who says, I feel like I'm just being judged all the time. Well, I bet they are reaping what they have sown. Because the Scriptures promise us, do not judge and you will not be judged. You judge a little bit, you'll get back a lot of judgment. A lot more than you've given out. Because that's the principle in sowing and reaping. Because look what it says. They will pour into your lap good measure, pressed down, shaken together. It's going to pour out. Let me give you an example. My wife is very giving to people. This woman wakes up in the morning thinking about people she's going to give stuff to. Thinking about people she's going to do things for. She'll, she'll, she'll wake up, she says, oh, it's this little boy's little, his, his birthday, it's his fifth birthday. I have to take him out, I have to go get him a present. I'm like, it's not your nephew, it's not your son. No, but I like him. And she's thinking about this all day, about the things she's going to do for this kid. This is not just one day a year for her, this is every day. And in the evening she's making a list of things that she's going to do for people. This woman is so blessed. There's all this blessing that pours out of her lap. God pours all these blessings in her lap and, and it overflows. And I follow behind her and I pick up all these blessings. <laughs> she is so blessed because she gives so much. What you give out, you so get. The other thing is she has this amazing mercy. Amazing mercy. You know, I'll come home complaining and oh, this guy did this. And she says, would you just leave them alone? I mean, just tremendous mercy. Mercy. And so what she gets back from God is mercy. From all directions, she gets back mercy. We give, we get. We get back much more than we give. This is the principle of sowing and reaping. You plant one kernel of corn, you get this stalk that, I don't know, has like a thousand or two thousand or three thousand kernels of corn back. This is the principle of sowing and reaping. You plant a little bit, you get a lot. You plant a little bit of hardship, you get back a lot of hardship. There was a lady who was talking about, my kids never come to visit me. You know, they're always staying away from my house. Even they come into town, I, they don't even stay with me anymore. Well, you know, she was pretty much of a tyrant to these kids when they were growing up. And they want no part of her. You sow something, you will reap it back. This is why Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You're going to get back many times over. But in the same with attitude. Judgment? You want to be judged? Go ahead. Sow a little judgment. You'll get back a lot. 
Sow a little mercy, you will get back a lot of mercy. Sow some kindness, you will be- get back a lot of kindness. I was sitting in, in, in one of the church men's meetings one day, and, and Roger was speaking, and he talked about writing personal letters of appreciation to people. And this was back in, in, in January or February, he said this. And he said that, that um, there, there's this, this uh, uh, famous newscaster that writes five personal letters by hand a day and mails them. Now, I couldn't do that, but I, I said to do five a week. So I've been doing five a week of personal letters of thanks and appreciation to people around me. And so, you know, I'll read an article in the literature that some, somebody in another state has published or in another country has published. And I think, this is a great article. What wonderful work. And I will write them a letter by hand. You know, emails are just, they're effortless. And so you receive very little back for them. And, and other than, you know, a reply of thanks. And they, they, they leave out the vowels and they put in an X or something. <laughs> but you, you write this letter and I mail it out. And, you know, these people come up to me. They say, you know, this was so nice of you to mail this letter to me. And, you know, just this little expression. Uh, and, and uh, you, you know, it, all fields of work are very competitive. And I remember reading C.S. Lewis saying, the way you rejoice in another's successes is you really rejoice in their success. Instead of saying to yourself, boy, I wish I had done that. You say, I rejoice for you. In your heart, you say this, I rejoice for you as much as I would for myself had I done that, had I received that. And so that's what I do. I write them this letter and say, I am so happy for you that you've won this award. And it's amazing the responses I get back. So this little thing of writing a letter, I get back so much in return, so much blessing. Let me give you another example. We have, we have these students in our home each week, and so I give you guys just a little bit. I don't know, whatever scraps are left over, there, there it is. But what I get back is so much. What you guys place in my children's lives, you know, you, you teach them these things. You teach them how to play the guitar, you teach them music, you teach them... My daughter learned how to play the piano from, from college students around the house, and, and, and uh, uh, they've tutored my children. They've done things that... They've helped them with science projects. You would think that... You know, if anybody would help them with science projects, it would be me. But it's just hard for me because that's like, you know, I, it's just hard to do that. It's hard to, and it's hard to be patient with it. I just want to say, just go away, let me do this, and then you come back and you see how I did it. And, and I know that that's not the best way to do it. But I'm used to just walking in a lecture hall, just saying what I say and walk out and leave the rest to the TAs. But, so, this, so I'm not that good at it. But you guys have blessed my family so much. Whatever little bit we give, we get back so much more. It is more blessed to give than to receive. If you get a life of giving out gracious things, good things to people, you will get back so much more. Because God is good. He is gracious. That is the principle of sowing and the principle of reaping. You give so much that you don't know. You can't keep track anymore. You don't even remember. And people come up to me. They say, you know... I was in your home four years ago, and you I'm like, you were? Oh, yeah. I was in your home a lot of times. Oh, yeah. R- remind me, what's your name? And, and just trying to, to think of the people. Just give so much you don't even remember. And the other thing that it will do is it will affect your married life. So everybody wants to have a good marriage. Is there anybody here that doesn't want to have a good marriage? 
So everybody wants to have a good marriage. Did you know it's a lot easier being married to someone who is selfless rather than some, someone who is selfish? Can you imagine that? That, that? To be married to someone who is selfish is a real problem. When you give out, when you are a gracious person, what happens is you find other gracious people and you end up marrying one of them. People who are gracious see other gracious people, recognize that grace, and they end up getting married. And now you're married to a gracious and giving person. A great place to meet is in some place of service. So in other words, I know a guy who, who was teaching an ESL class and he met his fiance teaching in that ESL class. So, this is a great thing to do because she was already involved in service. And he was involved in service and he saw this woman just serving others. You know, in e- teaching English as a second language in church, you don't get paid. And so he knew that she was there each week teaching these people. And so he was too. And so you get these two selfless people getting married. That is a good thing. And then what happens, then you have this home where these, these, these two giving people start having children. And the children start seeing these people giving out to all sorts of people. Now, you can imagine that, that once in a while my kids have, have, have you, you know, hummed and hawed and moaned a little bit about all the people that come through the house. I mean, this is, you know, normal teenagers. And so now my, my oldest daughter is married and she's done her humming and hawing about, about us always having people over on Sundays. And so what does she do? So now it's... Sunday in her home with her husband, and lo and behold, she's inviting people over for lunch every Sunday afternoon. Well, I wonder where she learned that. You know, and so what happens is you end up propagating lots of giving people around you when you are a giving person. And it is a much happier life because I know that my daughter is going to be so blessed that everyone who comes into her little apartment, it's a tiny little apartment, but that's what Shireen and I had. We had a tiny little one-bedroom apartment and we were living in there then with, with even, even one kid. Our, our, our first child was in there, so we were all in the one bedroom and we used to have groups of college students in our home, in our little apartment, and we were so blessed by that. So that's all the little girl ever knew. From the time she was born. And this is what she's doing. And she's going to be so blessed. Everybody who comes in her home, remember what Jesus said, you give to one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water in my name, you will not lose your reward. If you can give a cup of cold water to one of these little ones and get a blessing from God, imagine if you give them a meal. You know, according to what you sow, you you reap back. Remember the man who sowed five talents, got five talents more, and then the whole kingdom given to him? The man who sowed ten talents got ten talents more? Imagine if you should give. So I know she's going to be so blessed. Her home will be blessed. Her life will be blessed because she's learned how to give. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's what the scriptures teach us. This is clear. And it is the same with attitude. You have a thankful attitude, thankful people end up coming around you. You have a giving attitude, giving people come around you. You have a complaining attitude, you'll, you'll get all sorts of people around you who suck on lemons every day. 
if you, if you have a lousy attitude. You really will. And when I see people complaining all the time, I'm like, I don't even want to be, be around that person. I don't even want to be around that person. When I get a graduate student who has an attitude like that, I call them into my office. They say, enough. No more dragging your lunchbox to the lab every day. When you come to this work, I don't want you dragging that lunchbox behind you complaining all the time. You know, I want to break them of that attitude. You know, I don't want that atti- attitude going forth in the place in which I work. I don't want to be around this negative attitude. I was sitting with a group of professors one day at this, this, this third-tier university and, and, uh, uh, that I was visiting, and they were all complaining, yeah, yeah, we do this kind of research, never been able to get much of it to go, you know, just never could do it. I don't want to be around people that all they're doing is, is, is pouting about the stuff they haven't been successful with. You see what I mean? And, and, and uh, uh, when, you, when, you, when you speak about things in a right and in a, in a, in a, in a way that God blesses, you just, you just exude this and it blesses other people. It is more blessed to give than to receive. We have to do so much of it. Paul says, this is something you must do. Let's read on. Acts chapter, chapter 20, verse 36. And when he said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And then I'm going to show you one other verse here. Um, Look in in Acts chapter 21, verse 5. And when our days there were ended, we left and we started on our journey, while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. And after kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to to one another. Isn't that interesting? Two accounts, side by side, two different cities, they're kneeling with them and praying. Did you know when it talks about posture and prayer in the Scriptures, you will see that it is almost always either, either prostrate, prostrate where you, you, you've fallen down on your face before God or it is kneeling in prayer. There are two accounts where it says one of them is David was so overwhelmed with God's goodness, he just sat on the ground in the temple giving thanks to God. There was another time when, when uh, uh, in, in the tabernacle giving thanks to God, there was another time when Solomon was dedicating the temple. He stood on a platform and dedicated the temple. And he prayed to God. In every other instance, either people were flat on their face or on their knees. But it's interesting that the New Testament never instructs us on a position of prayer. You can be walking, you can be sitting, that is no problem. There is no particular instruction on a position of prayer in the New Testament. But it is interesting nonetheless that there are occasions when these people would gather, they would get on their knees to pray. I have known some very godly men that would only read the scriptures in their own quiet times on their knees. There is nothing wrong with it. In fact, there's lots of scriptural precedent. But you set whatever position you want. There is no, there is no dictate in the scriptures. But for one to get on their knees is really quite scriptural. The only, the only example of sitting and praying was David sitting on the ground, overwhelmed with God's goodness and giving thanks to him. Everything else was either on their face or on their knees, other than Solomon when he was dedicating the temple. Look in verse 37. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they were accompanying him to the ship. Look at what was being poured out upon Paul. 
They were weeping and embracing him and repeatedly kissing him. Did you know that Stoicism is not scriptural? Stoicism is not scriptural. People poured out their hearts to one another. There was tremendous love for one another. They hugged each other, they kissed each other, and they wept. This is not to say that it's mandated, that it's dictated. It is not. But we are free in Christ to enjoy one another in that way. And, and there are times when, when we go through things. There are times when, when things just, you know, it has been a terrible day. Everybody has a terrible day at times. And there's a time to just, to just sit and weep before the Lord. And the Scriptures talk about this. Look at, at, at Psalm chapter 30. Psalm chapter 30 talks about this. Psalm chapter 30, reading from verse 5. For His anger is but for a moment. His favor is a lifetime. Is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. You know, you're going to go through experiences in your life. There will be times of loss. There will be times of pain. Where you will have friends, dear ones, family. That will be lost. There will be things that will happen. There will be humiliations that occur in your life. All of us have experienced them. When we've been the, the object of a mocking or of groups of people laughing. And the pain that there is in that. And you know, weeping may come for the night. But the amazing thing about God is, you weep in the Lord, there is a shout of praise in the morning. He begins to release things in the morning. Even in great loss, there can be a shout of praise in the morning. And so there can be weeping for a night. There is nothing wrong with that in the Scriptures. Stoicism is never seen in the Scriptures. These people were hugging each other and they were hugging him. And it's interesting that Paul never thought he would return to see the Ephesians. But he did. He was taken. He went into prison. He was released from prison for a time. And then he went back into prison. During that time of release, he did see the Ephesians again. So that was just something that he felt that he would never see them again because he knew the pending things that were coming. But we have a count of him seeing them again. But it's interesting, the way that they were embracing him and hugging him and seeing him go off. There is a fellowship that can only come in the body of Christ. There's a fellowship that comes in the body of Christ. Sometimes you have relationships that may be with other believers in campus groups. If you're not knit in in the body of Christ, you're losing out on something very special. God has a fellowship in the body of Christ that he doesn't want us to lose out on. This can come through a local body of Christ. This can come through Christian friends on campus, through crusade, through intervarsity, through Baptist student ministry. Where you get to know people at a spiritual level, where you weep when they weep, you rejoice with them when they rejoice. It is a blessed thing to have relationships in the body of Christ. Very often what will happen is students will graduate from college having great fellowship in college and a great sense of fellowship in college among the college groups, among Crusade or BSM or IV, but they've never learned how to relate to a local fellowship, to a body of Christ. And so when they get out, they will kind of flounder spiritually. 
Let's say college was a much richer, richer spiritual experience because they've never learned to go into a, a church, to find a church, and to make a home and become involved there. It's important that you learn to do that. It's important that you learn to do that in the body of Christ, that you learn to have fellowship in the body of Christ. It is this mechanism and this avenue that will help to keep your family together. There are tremendous attacks on families where the enemy likes to destroy it. The divorce rate in the church is over 50%, just like it is in the world. But I know what the church has meant to me and to my family. When we have gone through times of hardship, the church was there. When there, is, there has been loss in the church, the pastor's there. He's there and he's, he, he, he's there at the graveside doing the things that need to be done, seeing us through the times of pain. There are times when, when I've gotten with the pastor where we, we, we've had tremendous loss and the pastor was there. Times where we've had difficulty in our marriage and the pastor, the authorities, the people in the church were there for us. They were there for us. There were times with, with our kids where we needed help. We needed understanding on how to raise them. The church was there for us. This is why when people talk about giving the tithe, I'm, I'm like, 10% is nothing compared to what I get out of, out of the church, what the church, the body of Christ has done for me and my family. In fact, you pay for a few professional counseling sessions for a kid, and you will see that to give 10% of your income regularly is a tremendous thing to have your kid involved with youth groups, to go off on mission trips with the church, to have your kid involved in activities in the church, to keep them out of jails and out of, out of all sorts of places where you have to get them out of in psychiatric treatment. It is a, 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 a tremendous thing. My kids learned music in the, in the body of Christ. My kids learned how to sing, not from me. My kids learned how to do skits and acting, not from me. I didn't grow up in the church. They learned all of this from the church. They, they had this immediate group of friends. When we moved to Houston ten years ago, my, my two daughters were teenagers. Very hard time for them to move. But there was this immediate community in the body of Christ that they had through the church youth group. An immediate community. So as we learn to fellowship with the body of Christ, it's a tremendous blessing. This fellowship that Paul had as they were hugging him goodbye, he had spent several years in Ephesus. There was a relationship built there. If you can just walk out of a church, if you can just leave a group without even just you know, saying goodbye and being blessed, it means you never knit in in the first place. I'll tell you, every, every time we've moved from one city to another and we've had to leave a fellowship, it was a wrenching on us emotionally. And, and every time we're leaving that city, Shireen would just be bursting out in tears and crying and crying about all the relationships she's losing. And, you know, I feel bad. I'm not crying and crying, but, you know, because I know I'm going to get new relationships. But, but, um, uh, but still, I miss the people. And when I go into those cities, I go back to those churches and they still remember me and they welcome me. And I go back and I meet the people and I hug them and I, and I fellowship with them because of the body of Christ. I can go into many cities and just stay with people because of the body of Christ. And this is the blessing of it. Don't miss out on this. God has a richness here for you that you're not to miss out on. Let's pray. Father, thank You for these young people. I thank You, Lord, for the truth of the Scriptures, for the truth of the body of Christ, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Father, I pray for these young people. They would learn to be giving giving with their time, with their money, 
with their attitudes, giving of, of mercy, uh, giving of kindness. Father, that they would do that and they would receive back many times over. Father, that they would have lives so giving that the left hand can't even keep track of what the right hand is doing. Father, I pray for these young people that they would learn to be blessed by giving out to others. That they would learn to be blessed. Father, I pray for your grace to abound on them. Lord, I ask you to teach them about the body of Christ, the fellowship of believers, the relationships that can occur there. Father, teach them of these things. Let them not neglect it. May they be built up in these. And Father, I pray your blessing and your grace to be upon them. Much blessing and much grace, I pray, to rest upon them. Father, and this new year as they'll be starting, I pray for grace, your grace to be upon them. Father, that they would learn what it is to, to receive from one another and to give. And Lord, we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.